0: Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. was more of a conversation that I had with a very special person, a good man who's doing a lot for the community. His name is Gershon Distenfeld. He's actually the co-head for fixed income at Alliance Bernstein. He spent a lot of time trying to help the community and he focuses specifically on tuition, on the problem that tuition is causing for many families. And we've spoken many times, we've had many shows about this. And he has put a lot of effort into it. He actually was behind starting the school of Yeshivat HaTid in Tinek, which we had we interviewed on an earlier show with Rabbi Ronan and Mr. Billauer, who run Yeshivat HaTid, and he was actually the founder of it. We had, the whole goal of the school was to bring down the cost of education and make it affordable. Again, when we say affordable, it's all relative, but much more affordable than the other schools. And we speak a little bit about it during our conversation but we also spoke about, we spoke about the magnitude of the problem. A lot of people don't even realize that tuition is destroying our community, it's destroying our finances, destroying our families. And we speak about these problems, go into great detail. And we also speak about the different ideas that are out there in trying to make tuition affordable. Some of the ideas we've had on earlier programs, we speak about them and the feasibility of implementing them. Some of these ideas are new and the bottom line is that we need people, we need people to step up to the plate and take on the challenge head on because if we put our minds together and we, we put our resolve to it, we definitely can solve this problem just like we can solve, we've solved many other problems. People look to the government to try to solve the problem and we know that the government is not going to pay for it. tuition, it's just not going to happen. Then we might get more funding but even the funding that we'll, that we'll get will be with a lot of strings attached. It's really not something that we should be waiting for, and we speak about that as well. But what we really need to do is come up with innovative ideas, solutions, suggestions, things that we can do to make tuition affordable, and to fund the cost of education. Bottom line is it has to be paid for. And to make all the families pay for it, it's just not feasible. So this is what we, we're going to speak about in our conversation. And if you have any ideas of your own, we'd love to hear them. Maybe we'll have you on a future program. So let's go to our conversation with Gershon. Thank you, Gershon, for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, we want to talk about topics relating to, to yeshiva education, yeshiva schools. And one of the biggest issues that we've dealt with extensively on, on previous shows is uh, the cost of tuition and how it's so unaffordable for, uh, for even upper class families, let alone middle class families. Um, the, 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 this, this has huge ramifications and uh, just wanted to hear what, what your thoughts on are on the topic, where you feel things are headed and if there are any solutions.
1: <laughs> well, could probably talk for a couple hours straight on <laughs> all those things, but we'll try and yeah. give a high-level overview of my views and, and see. look, I, I firmly believe this is the largest issue facing the Orthodox community. It's different in the modern Orthodox community than it is in the more yeshivish community but it's it, it's the the difference is pale in comparison to the common theme and that is that th- we cannot have a system going forward where one has to be in the top couple percent of income earners in the United States as a family to be able to meet basic tuition obligations that is just an unsustainable system um you know i used to argue that it's only a matter of time till it crashes, whether it's five years from now, 20 years from now. But I've, I've revised my thinking over the past couple of years because the the it's already causing so much harm and damage to so many families in our communities that it's already blown up. And we need to think outside the box and find solutions. Now, my biggest solution is, look, we can... The idea that the government's going to end up paying for it, I think, is incorrect on two fronts. One is, you know, the, the government does pay for education. We choose not to use it. So, from a, just a constitutional perspective, I don't—I know I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I don't—I don't see that happening. But more practically, you know, governments, state governments, federal government—they're in debt up to wazoo, and they're just not going to fund this stuff. We have to fund it. The problem is we don't fund it. We never have um we fund almost everything else that's important to us we fund people don't have food for shabbos we fund it through tom shabbos um people don't have jobs we have all kinds of 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 things to help people get jobs um we have project ezra in my community it's been very very successful um special needs we fund a lot of things we do not fund this not only that then i'll pause and let you take it in whatever direction you want Uh, because again i can talk about this forever um we do it in the most inefficient way possible. We charge parents tuition um, on an after tax basis. That's by legal, by the law, how you have to do it, where if we would fund it voluntarily through donations, it would effectively be leveraging our money because it would be getting much more value for every dollar we put into it.
0: Right, and in a sense, the government would be funding our tuition. Like a that sense
1: that. The go- that's exactly right. That's a very good way of putting. it. Um, the government would be subsidizing it.
0: Right. Okay, so so could you just like just I, I know you're 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 very involved. You're in fixed income at, at, at Bernstein, so you're familiar with economics of it. Like, could you give a picture of like what is the typical cost of tuition and the impact that it has on a family's finances? You know, given a, a middle to upper class typical income of a Jewish family in New York or New Jersey.
1: Yeah. So. Um, but first, I, since you mentioned economics, I, I want to talk, I'll talk economic theory for a minute and not in a very complicated way, just very simply speaking, you know, everyone's like, well, if it, it would have blown up, it would have blown up already. And I think it misunderstands the nature of bubbles. Um, every bubble there's been in history and the first bubble, for those that want to uh, look at look at it in, in history, search on the internet was the tulip, bu- the Dutch tulip bubble, I believe of 1637. First, I'm sure there were bubbles before that, the first recorded one in history. That, you know, to modern times, the internet bubble, one could say the real estate bubble, to the financial crisis, bubbles don't, the excesses can build up over long periods of time before they burst. And here we have two things that economists will tell you contribute big time to bubbles. One is we have no substitute goods. In other words, we rightfully feel like we cannot send our kids to the public schools. So there's, there's no choice in the matter. That creates an, essentially an infinite demand. The other thing on the supply side, we subsidize those that can't afford it. At least we try to through the scholarship system. Both of those can have contributed and that's why tuitions have gone up by a lot faster than inflation over the past few decades. It, it makes it economically impossible. Now your question was, um, you know, what does it mean for the typical family? Look, it really depends on what community you're in. Again, the more yeshivish communities, um, Tuitions are lower, quality of education, uh, I'll probably get raked over the coals for saying this, the quality of education is not nearly as good. Um, but, you know, to, to, to compete on par with, you know, we do a dual curriculum in the minor orthodox communities for around the same price the public schools do it. So we're actually very, very efficient. But if you look at, I just actually ran the numbers, someone asked me to do it, um, you know, just to live an incredibly basic life without a lot of things that almost, every family would consider to be a necessity today. Um, I I should have opened the spreadsheet before we started. So I have the, oh, here, I have it right here. So, you know, this is for Bergen County. It can be adopted for other communities. Um, Let's just take a case where you have four children. Let's say three in elementary school, one in high school. Pre-tax salary income that you'd have to generate to just to, again, And this, I'll maybe list some things that this doesn't include is $275,000, which puts you in the top 2% of income earners. (laughs) Wow! Um, I'll tell you what I didn't include in any of that. That's assuming, you know, you, uh, you aren't paying for help around the house, which is an unrealistic assumption. If you have two working parents, you're not taking any vacations, you're not saving for retirement. You're not sending your kids to sleepaway camp. I mean, so most of these things people think they want to do. They should do so what's the impact it's having well it's having two impacts one is on the fam on the families themselves yes they're the for the real hardship cases there are funds available um and for Ashirim, it's not a problem you have this huge middle class so to speak it's not really a middle class because they're making a lot of money in turn term- from the secular perspective remember Someone makes three hundred thousand dollars a year in the secular world. They're not sending their kids to private school for the most part, so it's it is considered a luxury. So you have a lot of families that are living paycheck to paycheck or worse on credit card debt. They're not saving for retirement. Um, there's, there's tremendous stress in the household. Shalom bias problems between husband and wife. That's problems been existing. And it's just only getting worse. The larger problem today is that. Kids getting married today. I speak to people in their, you know, late teens, early twenties, all the time. They recognize this, and one, they're deciding to have less children, which is a terrible tragedy in itself. Secondly, um, the, a lot of I, I know, uh, I know, a couple of kids who are literally depressed. They're like, you know what? I know that I have to make a ton of money to support an Orthodox lifestyle. But I'm not cut out for it. I don't want to be on Wall Street. I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be, you know, a whatever. There's a lot of occupations out there, right? The median household income, household two dual income is something like $80,000 in the United States, might even be less. So it's, it's depressing kids. They don't know what to do. Um, and people are dropping out because of it. Um, and look, like everything else, the, the previous generation is funding a lot of things, but that's only going to go so far that it grows exponentially when you start going to the next generation
0: right and and the people the the the, the people like you said like you know they're the choosing to have less children this is simply because of the economic factor that's that and
1: it's not just yeah like i'll tell you a, a, a i think a little bit of a sad anecdote i was um i was uh meeting with a, a young couple in, in our community and um Maybe we we'll get the which I founded, which has a tuition of ten thousand instead of closer to twenty thousand for most of the schools around. Um, and she was uh, she was visibly pregnant, and she looks. She tells me she points to her stomach and tells me, "This is your child." And I looked at her and said, uh, "I I really don't think it is."
0: <laughs> <That> <laughs> She's <not>. like,
1: <laughs> I, "Right." She said, "No, we would not have had this child if you didn't create Yeshiva Ha'atib. So, and that's one anecdote, but, you know, we've heard from many people that, you know, this is a, this is a, you know, whether it's rabbinically sanctioned or not, couples are choosing to have less kids. It's, it's a, it's the number one topic that singles talk about. We're told again and again, we've had singles at our Shabbos table. It's, it's, it's on everyone's mind. It's, it's, it's unrealistic to expect this. Like I can't, I'm not a nubby. I don't know what's going to be a generation from now. There's no way this system is going to be in place a generation from now. Not mm-hmm. going to happen.
0: Okay, so maybe now you could talk about Yeshiva HaTid and how they they work differently. We had a show about it, but you know, let me hear your perspective.
1: <laughs> well, you know, like everything in life, um, uh, or I should say most things in life, you can, things that have existed for a long time, you can get better quality and much cheaper than, than it was a generation ago. I mean, think about You know, you're 25 years ago, the the computing power that you have in your smartphone would have taken a a whole room and it costs, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars. And your smartphone costs a thousand dollars, right? So that's true of almost every good out there. The exception is education. Education essentially has not gotten any. I mean, I know I'm going to get, again, people are going to not like what I'm saying with this education the outcomes are not any better than they were a a generation ago and it costs a lot more um i was very influenced by more than inflation you think it went relative to inflation it went high relative to inflation it's gone up more than double the rate of inflation over the past 30 years but i was very influenced by a book came out i think in 2007 called disrupting class by clayton christensen he's a harvard professor um where he talks about why has this happened it's basically sense of the teachers union but if you think about the way we the way we educate children in america and quite frankly it's carried over libu day as well is we do it almost entirely through frontal instruction we, we get tw- whatever the number of kids are in a classroom you know 20 25 whatever it is and we get a teacher gets up there and lectures them this was designed for a different era it was designed for an era where we just needed people to know basic things because they were going to be industrial line workers we, we don't live in that world anymore. And by definition, a teacher in front of a class of whatever kids, there's going to be kids that fall behind, don't understand things. They're going to be kids that get it right away and are going to be bored and misbehave and there's everything in between. Kids learn differently. So the idea, think about it, when was the last time you wanted to know something and you went to you know, a, a, a workshop? That's just not the most efficient way to learn. It needs to be much more customized. So you know, we did an issue about how to and we hired uh, consultants in the secular world to help us do this is we designed a curriculum that is, has almost no frontal learning. It's all, it's we call it a rotational program. Kids get, we have the same amount of kids in the classroom, but they, they, uh, they rotate between, in, within different groups and it's very data-centric. So the teachers work with small groups while other groups are doing project or doing online learning. And that actually makes the interaction with the teacher so much greater. And the reason this saves so much money is most schools today have an insane amount of bodies outside the classroom. And for the reason I just cited, they're they're kids that need remedial and they're kids that need enrichment because you're teaching to an average in the classroom. It just doesn't fit a, a large majority of the kids. So we reverse that and we say, let's start with... Into more customized learning. We group kids uh, together by w- where they're holding the abilities, and that way, when a teacher spends time with four or five kids at a time um, on around the same level, the, the the learning is much more tailored to what they're doing. It also results in a lot more project based learning, which in today's day and age is critical for any skill set you have. It's more about you know knowledge has become a little bit of a commodity. You can look up anything you want Google on your smartphone 10, 5, in two, two seconds. seconds. That's right. But it's, you know, it's, they call it the four C's, I think. if I got to get them all creativity, collaboration, communication, confidence. I forget whatever they are, but that's all true. You know, I, I got to tell you, I've had a very successful career. I don't know that I learned much of anything in school past, you know, basic reading and math in elementary school that has helped me. In the job. Even the in, even in learned, college. Even in college. The skills I've learned, maybe a little more in college, a little more writing, the, the communication skills, the, the ability to write an effective email, the ability to communicate clearly and succinctly to a group of people. I mean, the fact I didn't take a speech class till college is insane. It's mm-hmm. the most important. Uh, Skill, skill,
0: right.
1: It's it's important in the Mudi Kodesh as well. Everything you know, you should. Third graders should be getting up and giving presentations to their classroom. Uh, So you know, I think education can be made a lot better and can be made cheaper. Now, at the end of the day, even at ten thousand, and it won't be ten thousand for high school. Probably done for fifteen or so. It's still going to be prohibitively expensive for most people, and we're still going to need to fund it elsewhere. Uh, And when I say elsewhere, I really mean you know, we talk about how Jewish education is communal responsibility. We don't practice what we preach. You know, in the public school system, you can say what you want. And they might be very inefficient, but they have the right funding model. You pay the same amount, whether you have zero kids or 10 kids in the school system, because it's a communal obligation. We pay lip service to that. We say that every Jewish child deserves Jewish education. We're full of it because we don't fund it. And the reality is everyone feels good when they give to their scholarship funds. For the most part, we do this differently at Shiva Tid also. We actually only give out what we raise. We can't we can't charge other people in a tax inefficient manner on this. Most times when you give to a scholarship committee, they're gonna they're gonna have the same, they're gonna give out the same amount regardless. Um it's just it comes down to what we said before about there just being no substitute goods and we 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 find a way to subsidize it through. Through other people's tuition, in all too many cases.
0: Mm. So, what what percentage of the parents in Ishiveratid are able to pay that that full tuition?
1: Yeah, a much higher percent. So, it's estimated that uh, about six, uh, about forty percent of of families in the school in, in elementary school are on financial assistance. It's higher in the high schools. I um, mean, Ishiveratid it's less than ten. Um, mm. So, yes. Well, just by definition, 10,000 is a lot more affordable than 18,000, just from a math perspective. But, you know, the, the, they're going to grow. You know, there was a, a yeshiva high school in the tri state area, a large one, that was boasting that 70%, they were boasting 70% of their ki- kids are on, Assistant. are on, uh, families are on assistance. That's like a death now. Right. I mean, you can't just, till now, you've been increasing tuition by, large amounts you just the more you do it the less people that can pay for it so look it's a huge problem and honestly no one wants to have the only solution is to and it, i don't it might not be practical is to is to create a communal obligation mm-hmm. you know the, the reality think how silly it would be by the way that we fund people who can't who can't afford tuition through other people's tuition and after tax dollars think about how silly it would be if we if we didn't have tom clay and instead, we put a mandatory tax on every food purchase, every kosher food purchase. It would be the most inefficient way. You pointed it out. The, the the government is willing to subsidize it if we do it voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Us, we just we just don't do that.
0: Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, is there the, the, getting back to the cost of education before we talk, you know, we, we, we spoke a lot about, you know, having to, having a communal fund for it, which we, we've spoken with some other people and we, we've heard some ideas on it, but l- let's talk about the cost of education. Is there any way to, I know you've done yeshiva. Hatid, is there any way to like, let's say like spread that idea, leverage more ideas that are out there, including, like you said, the blended learning styles to, but you bring down the cost of education for elementary school and high school? High school I know is more expensive because you need so many teachers.
1: But if every teach- school could do this if they wanted to. There's a lack of will. Mm-hmm. There's a lack of imagination. There's people's jobs at stake. Well, that's part of the problem also. We've right we employ a lot of people. Right. Um, so it, it all comes back. And you take those jobs away, then they need assistance. But it, you know, like anything else in life, there are opportunities everywhere. It is easier to do it when you start from scratch, um, but it is what it is.
0: Right, and the biggest cost, I'm sure, in education is is manpower, is la- labor, right? It's the, the, yeah, it's it's the over eighty percent of the
1: co- you- over eighty percent of the cost is human capital. But that's why you have to use your human capital smarter. I mentioned before, the amount of bodies outside the classroom is is out of control. By the way, parents are guilty of this as well. The same parents that will complain about the cost of tuition, the loudest are usually the ones that use the most resources. You know, the, the idea that everything has to be perfect. Uh, and, and, you know, you have a right to go to complain to ever when something, a little something is wrong. And that's an attitude problem with parents as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the, the, the quality of education I know you compared it with uh, yeshivish communities and, and even Hasidic communities where tuition is really, is, is a lot cheaper than even <laughs> than the other communities. They, 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 some of them only pay like $300 a month. I don't know how they do it. I mean, over there, the way they work is that the, the, the salaries over there are much lower. The, you know, the salaries they're paying, the teachers are much lower. And like you said, the, the quality of education is, is going to be lower. I mean, you know, so there, there's a huge trade off there. And you're saying parents are demanding top top notch education. So they're effectively demanding a high cost of edu- a high cost of tuition.
1: Yeah, I mean that's right. But I mean, look, you don't pay look, I don't know who pays three dollars a month. That sounds very, very low, but um, you know, I'm not advocating that our teachers are overpaid. Right. And we should pay them less. And you know, in fact the numbers I cited above, you can't make it as a two teacher family in these communities which is sad um so look it's it's a huge problem and you know one of the things i i started something before issue ahead back in 2009 called nnj kids northern new jersey kids investing in day schools and the idea there was a communal fund the idea was that everyone would would contribute everyone in the community whether you had kids or not would be encouraged to contribute i think we said a dollar a day thirty dollars a month automatically that would fund Jewish education. Um, you know, at the height we got by our estimates of how many families were in Bergen County, we had about 25% of families participating, which on the one hand is great. We raised, you know, millions of dollars on the other hand. Um, it's not enough, (laughs) not nearly enough. We found that the, the older generation looked at it as leave me alone. I, I
0: I did my years.
1: I, I did my years again. It, People are looking at it as a user good, and I understand that. And look, the problem also is the old generation will tell you. You tell me there's a tuition problem, I see big houses going up all over the place, vacation. So I have two responses to that. One is that um, one is that you see that from people who have. You you're not counting as all well the people that don't have, which are hurting and hurting tremendously by this. And the second thing is well, it's probably three things. Um, the, the second thing is it's just not sustainable for the next generation. And the third thing is that they are they are right. People are living well beyond their means. You know, the, the idea that a, a 27-year-old couple, when they have their second kid, they have to immediately buy a house is something our, the previous generation would have never understood. Um, everyone, you know, the difference between needs and wants. Rabbi Sacher friend had a great shuva tape back when there were still tapes many years ago about you know, he, he, he gave the example of an ice maker for himself, which is obviously a very, not a very expensive item today. But he said that that which you think is a luxury, you worked hard for it and you deserve it. It's in many respects you do. You worked hard. You can afford it. There's nothing wrong with it. But that which you consider a luxury becomes a necessity for your kids. And I think that's a very wise, very wise piece of advice. We We distinguish between needs and wants all the time. Whenever we say we need something, most of the time we don't really need it; we want it. That's why you look. You that's why scholarship committees have a very tough job. You know, someone will come and, and say, "I can't afford it," and they really can't, but they've made some poor choices—type of car they drive, um, the the house they live in, etc.
0: So it's just curious. I mean, this is the question that everybody, on every on everyone's mind: How are our families making it? Like, how, how do they even? cover their base. How do they pay their mortgage? How do they pay the electric bill? You know, $200,000 sounds like a lot of money for, for many people. And you're saying it's not even, it, it doesn't even cover the basics. And even with a scholarship, I'm sure it's, uh, it, it's, it's not nearly enough. So, so, so there's three on?
1: categories, there's three categories of people. First of all, we're, you know, we are lucky. We probably have, um, I don't know, 20%, 30% of our families that are in the two, top 2%, very highly educated, aren't the top 2% of income earners. So you have those families. You have the families that are quite frankly are just are living on the previous generation's wealth. And you know, you just do the simple math. Someone has accumulated, I don't know, $10 million, which is a lot of money. And you know, so they think they can, you know, buy each of their, you know, help their each of their kids with a down payment for half a million dollars or whatever on their house or subsidized tuition or whatever things. Okay, but that person had four children, he might have 15 or 20 grandchildren. So you can have a real usher and the next generation will have 80, right? So the math doesn't work. And then, and sorry, then the third category is that, again, that huge middle that is really struggling. And, you know, how do they pay? A lot of them have credit cards. They have pay. debt. At very high, they have debt and no retirement savings and no rainy day funds. Uh, now, look, some, some make also poor choices. Some people, those positions go on vacations that shouldn't be going on. Um, but,
0: well, there's also the community pressure, the social pressure for that.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, look, the whole system, I, I also, I also, um, I've been very public about the need, the, the and this relates to the, do we believe as a community which fund Jewish education, the whole scholarship system needs to be redone. Um, I'll tell you some, something that um, someone who's involved in a different organization, uh, an organization that, um, the head of, the head of uh, organization that finds jobs for people, told me a long time ago, he said that, oh, what they, they, they this fam, when a family is in trouble or does, is in financial trouble, they basically take over the family's entire finances they try and restructure and budget with them et etc and he said to me that a hundred percent of the time when we first meet with a family what their what the, their financial picture as they present it is not reality and he said sometimes they're lying, but often they're not lying they just they don't a, they don't even understand their own finances. And he repeated to me, he said, I'm not saying 90% of the time. I'm literally saying 100% of the time. It's like, so you, what you get on a scholarship application is garbage mm-hmm. and you can't possibly be making good decisions based on it. I don't have a great solution. Well, I do have a great, I do have a better solution for it. We, we need to, each school shouldn't be involved in setting their own Kind of scholarship budgets there should be some there should be an independent organization that does it and that collects the revenues for it as well
0: mm-hmm. okay yeah so so he's just going into the solutions that have, have been suggested you know both both uh, with you in our conversation also in other other conversations and um, we spoke about cost reduction, which does not seem practical, a little bit like in Yeshiva Hate, like you mentioned, they're doing it successfully, at least bringing down what you said, uh, you know, 30% or so. Is is that a good number? Like a guess of what their cost uh, is? More like 40. It's more like 40% lower. So uh, yeah, you know, when, if parents will be willing to accept that model they could, they could do that. You know, we, we could explore that. that, that somehow there's
1: six, somehow there are over 600 kids in Shibat Ha'atij, pretty happy parent body. So apparently and, it works. And are,
0: are the parents generally of, of lower incomes than, than the other schools?
1: I mean, they're younger. They do skew younger because it, it is hard once you've been in a school to send another kid send to it. So somewhere. that might even out over the next decade or so. We also graduated our first class last year. The kids are, First of all, we had the, high, the, the, the school that has the lowest acceptance rate in the community. We got the highest percent of our kids in than, wow. than any other school. The high school. Um, they actually, the high school loved our differentiated learning model. Mm-hmm. Um, we're graduating our second class this year.
0: Right. Okay. So, yeah, so we have that, that, that model could be explored. And, and I do think, like you, you were saying, if, if it's over 90% of the parents pay full tuition. Uh, And they're, you know, they're not requesting assistance. I think that psychologically also speaking, if somebody knows that the the tuition is somewhat within the range of of affordability, they'll stretch and try to make it a priority to instead of going straight to scholarships.
1: Similarly, similarly sized schools, um, their scholarship budgets are uh, in the seven figures. Ours was less than a hundred thousand last year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and think about it, but definition, also, the amount you give out. Let's say a family really only can afford eight thousand. So, if I'm charging ten, I only got to subsidize two, raise two. If I'm charging eighteen, I got to find ten. Right. That's, that's a huge difference. So, right. it's not just the percent of families on scholarship, which are much lower. Right. It's the amount that's needed is right. much lower. We right. actually are running a surplus. We broke even after five years, and we have a slight surplus at these levels. We increased wow. tuition formulaically. There's no real. There's no. Every school decides, all right, how much we increase tuition. We increase it by the rate of inflation every year. So it's gone up about two. We started at 8,900 or 8,990. I forget the exact number, somewhere below 9,000 in 2012. And it's a little over 10 today. It's gone up about 2% a year, which we anticipate it will continue. That's just inflation.
0: which, Which most people will see increases in their income at least of that amount. Hopefully, you know, they get raises and things like that as they advance further in their income. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay. So the other ideas that were suggested, you know, we'll get we'll get to the community fund soon. But someone suggested trying to start endowment funds just like the universities. What do you think about that idea?
1: It's a great idea if you can I mean we can't, I can't even raise the money to cover budgets we're going to start raising an endowment. I mean, think about I think it was estimated it was a few years ago, it's probably dated that we spend over 2 billion a year in private in, education. Uh, private education. So You know, we're going to raise 400 billion in the United States. It's just, it's just, it's just the the numbers. I mean, it's it's, to make a real dent, even in our school, to make a real dent, we'd have to raise tens of millions of dollars. You know, it's hard to even pay out 5% from an endowment anymore, given where interest rates are today. So I I don't know. Uh, You know, it it was a great idea in theory, but the same issue where are you going to raise the money from? Right.
0: Right. And the fact that universities are able to do it, it's, it's just they they have brand names. <laughs> it's just, you can't I will tell you
1: one thing that, you know, historically, we looked at this when we started TID. I worked, uh, I spoke to, to Nathan Diamond of the OU about this. The, the, one thing we could have done, and we probably should think about doing in the future, is we should be splitting our schools into two. We talk about how the government should fund the secular part, which I think is a pipe dream, um, as I spoke about before great if it happened, but I can't count on it. The Limudic the, the Kodesh part actually should be tax deductible. Now, here's why. Think about it. Why, well, you, the dues you pay to your shul, the Yom Kippur, your Ashani Kippur seats you pay to your shul, all tax deductible. Now, if you go, if, if there's a, 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 a chumash class and they charge you for it, in other words, you can't go unless you pay, that's also tax deductible. It's established law. So really, we should have set up our institutions in a way where religious teachings are tax deductible. Um, that could help quite a bit also, but that takes a lot of work. There's a lot of inertia on that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's going to be pushback from right, there'll be lawsuits against that ACLU. No,
1: not it's established. Mm-hmm. Religious instruction is tax deductible at an at, at a, at a institution that is recognized as a synagogue which these which we could have set up we our schools as mm-hmm. that's very doable it's not right. that's, that, that's not testing anything there, there's other things we can do that are much more aggressive that would get challenged but that would not be challenged mm-hmm. it's 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 true of synagogues, churches any religious instruction okay and long for long a middle, as middle no class income tangible benefit.
0: okay and for a middle class family I, I, like i say when i say when i say middle class i mean middle class for a jewish family would that would that make a substantial difference in their finances
1: it, I mean, every little bit helps. Would it make substantial? It depends. Yeah. And that, you know, if you have four kids and your tuition bill is uh where's my tuition bill for those four kids? Your tuition bill is, you know, eighty thousand dollars, seventy, eighty thousand dollars. If let's say have to 40 is tax deductible, that's that's uh so thirty
0: five would be tax deductible.
1: That's 15, 15 in savings. I mean, that helps.
0: Well, that's if everything is tax deductible.
1: No, it, it, no, if you're paying, let's say 80,000 tuition, so 40,000 would be tax deductible. So 40,000 times, you know, 33, 37%. The oh, tax it's that high, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you're talking about.
0: Well, for a know, middle, for, in, for, for 200,000 f- f- uh, income.
1: Well, for a 200,000 income, right, your top tax bracket these days is, yeah. I mean, you're paying you know twenty four percent at at one seventy one and thirty two percent at three twenty six so mm-hmm. well certainly you know just it, it will ease the burden
0: yeah well, certainly make it easier okay okay so yeah, so let's just uh, wrap up with, the, with this community fund idea um like you mentioned before people are you know are going to be reluctant to 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 buy into it, but when you look about you, you look around at the at the so so many causes out there raising money, some of them are very like very legitimate, some of them you scratch it and you wonder why do people even give to these things. Uh, but it, it's going to be hard, and the, the amount of money that's needed to, to to raise, like you said, it's you know in the billions of dollars collectively. Um, you know, is there do you, do you th- is there any practical way that we could you know get a, a strong participation in, in in a way that it has the, the desired effect?
1: Well, it's going to take leadership more than anything, and the problem is I don't blame necessarily our leaders because. There's so many problems in the community and, you know, people tend to focus on things that are ever present. So, you know, if there's a fire in your house, you put out the fire before you do anything else. There's so many fires today in terms of shell and bias problems and problems with kids off the of Derech and other problems. That's what leadership is focused on. Uh, when enough people are in enough pain, maybe this will get addressed. Um, but until then, it's, um, it's going to be hard. Right.
0: I also feel like it's not it's not an exciting enough cause for people to take on. It's something that people, eh, you know, they, they'd rather do, uh, like you said, the shalom bias and the drug uh, drug rehab. That's right. All right. right. Okay. It, it sounds like a bleak p- picture. I mean, we have something has to be done, right?
1: <laughs> well, you know, look, it's all piterachateva, right? There are lots of things that about klal that are supernatural. So, but. Uh, you know, uh, I think Hashem created the world in a way where you have to deal with teva, and this is something we've been talking about now for a couple of decades, and we haven't made made just slivers of progress. It's going to take it's going to take determined leadership, both lay and rabbinic, to make a dent in it. Uh, it can be done, but it has to be. There has to be more motivation, and there's people who just are burying their heads in the sand. They say eh, it's always been a problem. It's going to be a problem again. It misunderstands the nature of bubbles that i spoke about earlier right
0: okay very good now i just one one more question in terms of the the jewish family like a, you know Jew, like we, we spoke about a, a jewish family and the, how much money they have to earn do you see that it's within the people actually have it down? like do you see young couples getting married do they have the ability to earn that kind of money is it something that you see happening
1: well one they don't have to earn it right away because they don't have children yet but yeah no the the I think that it's unrealistic to think that the percent of young couples today versus when I was a young couple, um, the percent of people that are going to make this kind of money is going to be lower. It's just, you know, the world has changed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the same, you know, political talk that talks about, you know, the the wealthier getting wealthier and and the poor getting poorer is true in the Jewish community as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there aren't necessarily going to be as many jobs that are going to pay, you know, very, very high salaries.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a huge problem, for our, especially for our community. Right. Okay, thank you very much, Gershon. This is very enlightening, and uh, let's, let's hope uh, people stay, step up to the plate.
1: That's what we need the most. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on.
0: You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do chinuch chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me you can subscribe to the show on apple or google podcasts or on our website chinuchshow.com for suggestions comments or guests ideas please visit chinuchshow.com
1: thanks for listening